<coughs> Praise God. Well, it's good to be here, as my wife said, and uh, I was just sharing with your pastors last night how I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and uh, so I've been in ministry since I was 16 years of age, as you heard my wife say. Um, I don't know if you guys know this one thing, because I'm not sure what you told them or whatever, but... My background, the Lord actually led me back to school in the year 2000, and with that, I ended up uh, in the midst of that, going through my master's degree, because I was completely prepared to go through for a doctor of ministry, and the Lord said to me, so I want you to change course, and I want you to go into counseling. So the Lord had confirmed that, actually through my wife. And then in 2004, my pastor, Dr. Mark Barclay, he's, I was telling him about it, and, and I said, I feel like the Lord is telling me to open up a practice. And he said, you need to do that. And I said, why aren't you going to pray about it? He said, no, the Holy Ghost just told me, rose up in me and said, you need to do this. And so <clears throat> besides being uh, a pastor, a preacher, a missionary, because we've gone to Africa lots, that's usually where we love to go, and we do a lot of teaching uh, to, uh, to pastors and ministers there in Kenya specifically. But the Lord's had me uh, do uh, counseling. So up in Canada, they don't have, or in our province, they don't have the title counselor so much as they do psychotherapist. So I'm a registered psychotherapist, and my doctorate degree is actually in counseling and psychology. And some people have said to my wife, you know, is your husband always analyzing people? Yeah. And, and they said, well, you know, he learned that, right, from going to school? And you said, you said no, because you said, I've always done <laughs> Yeah, so, but anyway, you know, don't be afraid, you know, I just, I'm not going to jump on anybody or, you know, going to give you a diagnosis or something. But it was interesting how the Lord had led me and gave me a revelation out of his word to help people, help believers, to know, you know, because I'm going to say the psychology, most of it is at this point in time, very godless, devoid of God. And on top of that, um, a lot of people don't realize, because some people have made it a religion, you can see that in the U.S., you can see that in Canada, where people are into self-help books. I'm not against that. But it's kind of like, uh, as soon as you make it a substitute for the Lord, it's a problem. You know, it's like some people worship cars, I'll say. Okay, they're into cars, they won't come to church because they've got to polish their car and, you know, spit shine it and everything. But, you know, I look at it as a tool. And wherever scripture, it lines up with scripture, then, that's, then that becomes usable. And the thing I, I've really enjoyed, or part of the things I've enjoyed taking away out of psychology is the ability to, um, uh, the ability to really uh, look at yourself and do uh, an introspection of yourself. You know, it reminds me of what David said in one of the Psalms, as I lay upon the bed at night, he says, I do ponder my own heart. And, you know, in Bible days, they don't use the same words as we use today. So we have to understand the concept of scripture. Anyway, I wanted to share that with you because some of the angle in my preaching goes in that direction. So you, I just wanted you to know where I'm coming from as, as I'm ministering the word to you. 
Praise God. Well, let's stand for a minute. I just want to pray and for uh, so you guys don't get uh, you know any numbness in the leg from sitting. <laughs> Father God, I thank you, Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let your word bring forth grace and truth into every heart, mind, even the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that enlightenment would come to every one of us, because, Lord, you desire for us to come into that place of enlightenment where the word brings us the freedom that we need, freedom in thought, freedom in heart. Lord God, I thank you that you are the, the divine master. You are the one who leads us and guides us into all truth, Holy Spirit. So we rely on you today. And everybody that agreed said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Um, you know, many times when I preach, and uh, the Lord will give me a, just tweak my message, and that's, that's actually what happened to me today. I just love it, you know. I tell my tell my people, I say, well, you know, as I preach the word, I have lots of sermons that I've never preached. Yeah. I don't know if that happens to you, but yeah. So I'm going to start off with um, talking to you about greater freedom. You know, as believers, we, we sing songs. Some of the courses you might remember, and I don't know how far, you know, I can go from the camera walking around. Okay. So, you know, there's that song, He Set Me Free, yes, He Set Me Free. You know that song? Okay. So when you think of that song, it's, we know He set us free from sin. Right? We know that as believers, we've been born again, and we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, Colossians tells us, into the kingdom of His love. So we, we know that as believers, we became born again. And born again in 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new or she is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. I went to a Bible school up in Canada run by uh, Ray McGrath's back in 1981. And uh, there was a few people there uh, one lady in particular, I mean, saved, loved God, but really would go from being a nice person to a really nasty person. You ever met a nasty Christian? Yeah. 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 No? That's good. <laughs> you must be just rocking in love all the time, brother. That's great. So, <laughs> but, you know, some people, they, you know, their spirit may be saved, but, you know, they're, I guess they have that sour or bitter countenance and it's kind of challenging to walk in love with some individuals. But anyway, so we got talking. I mean, I was at that point in time, 18 years of age, and uh, she had uh, said, well, because she had gone through, and I don't know how we got in this conversation, but she had gone through um, sexual abuse when she was little. And it's actually a very common thing in Canada and the U.S., uh, now, these are older statistics, but one out of three girls have been sexually abused, women, and one out of six guys have been sexually abused. And uh, sometimes they don't recognize what that actually means. But uh, So anyway, this individual, um, I can't remember the conversation, but something about, I talked to her about getting help or something of that nature, and she got really defensive, and she says, you know, I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things are gone. All things are made new. I'm not the same person I used to be. 
and not realizing that this is taken out of context. Because we're, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. I don't know if you know that, that we're actually a tri, you know, a trinity, if you will, spirit, soul, body, right? right? So I'm a, I'm a spirit man. That's who I am. That's my essence. That's the part of me that got born again. You know, when I got born again, uh, some my attitude changed, my gravitation towards sin ceased, didn't mean I didn't get tempted anymore, but it just wasn't that propensity to sin. You know what I'm talking about, right? But you know, once I got born again, it wasn't like my brain completely changed. Right? You notice that? I mean, why is it that even Paul told, told the church, he said, lie not one to another. Well, because even back then, Christians lied to Christians. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I've, and, and it's because the world wants to put pressure on you and say, well, you're, you're a Christian. You know, your behavior, you're a, you call yourself a Christian? Mm-hmm. You know, I've been accused of so many things, it's not even funny. You know, I, you call yourself a Christian? I remember one time pulling out of our church parking lot and I was stopped to talk to somebody in, in my vehicle, rolled down the window, and it was a public lot, so a guy honked the horn, he rolled down the window, and you call yourself a Christian just because I stopped and talked to somebody. <laughs> you know, they have bitterness in their own heart, <laughs> right? But my point is in all this is that just because your spirit got born again, it, your, your soul didn't get born again. Your soul's your mind, your will, and emotions, right? Well, I, I'm going to give you a little bit of physiology to, mark, uh, to correlate with your, uh, with your spirituality or your theology. So I'm going to use my hand. This is like your brain. It's not that small. But <laughs> this, this part of the brain here is called Right here, your prefrontal cortex. How many of you heard of that? Yep. That's your rational thinking. Two plus two equals four. You know right now you're in church. You're not somewhere floating in the clouds. At least I hope you do. (laughs) Then underneath here, tucked away, is your limbic area. That's your emotional brain. Well, here's the thing about the way our brain is wired. Now, I believe before the fall of man, it worked different. Okay? Because I don't believe in uh, reincarnation, neither do I believe in evolution. I believe that man, because of the fall, that we got to now, because of what the work that Jesus did through his blood, was that he's causing us to ascend. And this is why it's by grace through faith. Grace is God's part, faith is our part, right? So... There are many Christians that don't believe we have to do much work, right? Now, we don't have to work without the grace of God. We're supposed to work with the grace of God in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. But it's not always sweatless. Sometimes we're sweating in our work because, and I'm going to get into it, because of conflicts within your soul. So, and you might be having conflicts today because most humans have some measure of conflict. Right. You, actually, you wouldn't have got saved if you didn't have a conflict. Because right. right. those are people that feel like, well, I don't need to go to church, I'm fine. Right? right. Well, you got saved because you, at somewhere in your life you knew, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian. 
I'm going to hell. I knew that if 14 years of age, I'd lie in bed at night and I'd look, to, look up at the ceiling and I'd say, God, if I were to die tonight, where would I go? And I saw hell and I knew I was going to hell. Now, at 14, you know, I, I'd never, I've never done drugs. I've never, and I, I'm sharing this not to brag, but to, that you understand, you don't have to do all these bad things to be going to hell. People think, oh, I did all these bad things, I'm really going to hell. You, you don't have to do a whole lot of bad things to go to hell. You just don't believe in Christ and don't submit your life to him and you're going to hell. There you go. There you go. Right, so anyway, you know, we have these conflicts. So go back to the brain, the emotional brain, in there is called the amygdala. How many of you heard of that? Mm -hmm. All right. So the amygdala is wired to your eyes and to your ears. You didn't know you were getting a psychology lesson today. But your eyes, uh, your eyes are wired, sorry, your eyes and your ears are wired to the amygdala. So when something happens, and it's because what we see and what we hear in about a half a millisecond, I mean it's argued, could be faster, whatever, it goes to the amygdala. And it interprets things one of two ways safe or dangerous, physical or emotional. And if it says danger, it constricts the blood flow here to the prefrontal cortex, sends the activation down the spine so you go into fight, flight, or shutdown. Now, it doesn't have to be like, you know, we're having a street fight. It could be. But sometimes it just, we become defensive or we withdraw internally. Like, it doesn't have to be violent, is what I'm saying, right? right. But, but it happens at different levels. And uh, this, is, this is something that I help people with to be able to connect and to be able to understand what's going on within there. And because that happens in half a millisecond, well, the information to this part of the brain takes two seconds. So when people say, well, I'm, 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 I'm not reactive, I'm, I'm logical. Not according to science, you're not. You know, you just thought you were logical. <laughs> but the part of the brain, and this is where I'm going to, scripture talking about renewing our mind, helping our soul, has to do with this part of the brain being re, retrained, re-educated, and it's not just through book learning. I mean, book learning is a part of the process, but it's more about what Jesus talked about in John chapter 8, verse 31, 32, which we'll get there shortly. But this is where I want you to understand, I see so many Christians and all the years of ministry struggling. You know, why don't I feel, you? I've had people come in the church and they say, man, this is a loving church and you're my pastor. Never see him again. Yeah, you've had that. Lots, man, if they all stayed, probably have a church of a thousand. <laughs> you know, then we have other people who come in and said, there's no love in this church. Now, this is the same church. Yeah. There's no love in this church. Yep. You go, hmm. Either there's no love in the church, and those people are right, and the other person said there's love in the church, so somebody's right or wrong. Somebody, something's going on here. Yeah. And a lot of this, I mean, people can say demons. Yes, it can be demons that works through the soul that is broken. Right. Okay, and that's where the oppression comes. Now, just so you know, this part of the brain houses 
Not just reasonable, rational thinking, but willpower. Willpower, have you ever felt like, man, I need to be more disciplined? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. I need to be more disciplined? No? Well, <laughs> brother, lay hands on me. <laughs> I need to be more disciplined. I'm going to tell you, discipline has to do with the, the, where the will is. It's here. So the will in the brain sits in the same place as the intellect. And there was this, well, actually, Susan was telling me about this thing she saw one time on public television, it was years ago, where they did this, and you might remember this, if not, you can correct me if I get it wrong, but they, had, they took this group, equal number of people, I don't know how many it was, you would maybe remember, yeah, and they had set before them at a table a bowl of radishes and a bowl of chocolate, and half the group did you see that? Uh, it was in my psychology. Well, was it? Okay. And they had to eat the bowl. One group had to eat the bowl of radishes. The other one had to eat the uh, bowl of chocolate while they observed, you know, the, the other bowl. And at, and at the end, they sat them down to do an unsolvable puzzle. And the group that ate the radishes quit sooner, you know, because... In North America, I mean, Koreans love radishes. Orientals love radishes. I'm not a radish lover. You maybe are. You know, it's not like, oh, mm, can I really wait to have some radish soup? And, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's not happening. You know, yeah. <laughs> right? How many of you would have the chocolate over the radishes, right? <laughs> so, anyway, the point was is that you had to emotionally, you had to use your will because emotionally you want the chocolate typically, mm -hmm. and emotionally, you don't want, you know, when you think of radishes, you're not dreaming of radishes, no. you know, if you go to the store, you ever thought, well, I'm going to get a, a, you guys call them candy bars here? Yeah. Yeah, where we ever call them chocolate bars, whatever, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, we say pop, someplace soda, and then you got soda pop, right? <laughs> but in, when you go, and you're there, they got them right there at the counter because they know, you know, they're going to break down your will and you're going to reach out and you're going to pay the money and you're going to put it in your mouth and then, you know, two minutes it's gone and so is all the, so is all the experience. <laughs> it just shows up other places, right? So, you know, when you think about it, that's that, it's the emotional brain because intellectually, I'm hoping that you know that this is not nutritional. This is actually not good for your health. But the emotional brain says, don't listen to reason. Let's eat this because then you're going to feel better. Right? right? I mean, that's, that's the way it works. Yeah. Now, some people don't have that problem. Like I know some people, they, they'll eat the, uh, they prefer the chips or the peanuts or something, you know. There are some people that are really good about just eating celery <laughs> or the radishes, as I mentioned. Yeah. And my point is, is that as things wear on us emotionally, right. what happens is our willpower or our self-discipline wanes. You ever notice when you're under more pressure that maybe you didn't walk in love the way you needed to? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Hmm? Yeah. 
Come on, you're going to be honest here. Unless you're perfected, bravo, bravo. But <laughs> because the fruit of the Spirit, which is developed, is through us that we need to develop it. This is why Paul, Paul's identifying in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, talking about the nine fruit of the Spirit, is something that we need to be aware of and has to be developed. It just doesn't pop forth naturally. Right? Otherwise, we wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't have had to give us the command to love one another as he loved us if it was automatic. You ever notice scripture tells us things that are not automatic? That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, nowhere in scripture it says, thou shalt eat food. Never. No. <laughs> Why? Because you're going to eat food. That's right. You know, thou shalt sleep. Well, you're going to go sleep. I mean, you might stay awake, but eventually you're going to go sleep. Because right. you're not immortal. Right, so scripture doesn't have to command us things and, talk, and tell us things that are natural to us. The things that are in scripture are the things we struggle with. You know, that's, that's the way it is. And the Lord tells us that we can overcome. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a younger believer, my brain would go to well, that's great, Lord, you overcame, but what about me? <laughs> now, we know it means more than that, right, right. but it's funny how that brain of ours can go to the, thanks, Lord, you're the one overcoming, and look at me. But really what the Lord meant was, through me and in me, you can overcome because I paved the way for you. Amen. All right? So <clears throat> I wanted to, to kind of lay that groundwork of understanding as Christians, we do go through tests and trials and tribulations and pressures. We go through things. Something that may not tempt me may tempt you, and vice versa. There's things that my wife is tempted with that I'm not tempted with. And there's things I'm tempted with she's not tempted with. Some of that has to do with our past. That has to do with our upbringing. Right? It just it has to do with whatever, whatever uh, we grew up with, whatever we encountered, whatever we experienced. And so with that, here's, here's the biggest, one of, sorry, one of the biggest hindrances to change besides ignorance, not knowing, is shame. Why do, you know, when people come into my counseling practice and they'll go, I'll say, what do you want to change? Because that's the first thing I want to know. You're coming in for therapy, so what do you want to change? What are the symptoms in your life and what do you want to change? Because sometimes people don't know. They come and say, well, I don't know. I said, well, you look me up. You want to come in? What, what's going on? And so then they have to think about it because you have more than one thing you want to change. And in, in that, one of the things that we, uh, at least in my circle of therapists, are taught is this is that there's always at least one thing that people will not tell you that they're ashamed of. They may or may not ever tell you, but they're ashamed of, they don't want to tell you. And then there's things that people will not tell you because they've minimized it, or they're not aware, they're not self-aware. You say, why are you talking to me about this? Because I want to talk to you in light of walking in greater freedom. I know as Christians, Everyone has different struggles. I know as pastors, pastors go through struggles of, 
you know, who's coming, who's showing up, uh, the budget being met, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things that pastors go through. That's why it's important to support your pastors because they're going to have challenges. They may never tell you. They may never show you, but they, but they need support. And this is where the mutual support comes in because they need your encouragement and you also need their encouragement. And that's what builds a strong body. So as, as, the, as I'm going to say, the body and the pastors work together, you encourage each other, and that's where strength comes. That's where the strength comes. Because it's not just soul to soul, but it's spirit and soul, right? Because that's, that's through the life of God should come through our soul. Right? My, you following me? Right. Right? right? You're born again. Where's the Holy Spirit in your head? No. He's in your spirit. How's the Holy Spirit work through you? He's got to work through your soul. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's trying to go through and he's like a ping pong. You know, like, like in those old, uh, what do they call those? Um, yeah, you know, the, uh, the pinball. I'm thinking of pinball machines. You know, the old pinball machines. Well, I guess there's new ones too. I, I haven't played them in years. But, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit's like the pinball because we've got so many roadblocks in our, in our mind that we don't realize that we're actually stopping the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's not like you're doing it on purpose. I want you to know it's not like you're consciously sitting there, you know, not obeying you, God. Not, now, maybe you have, but most Christians aren't. They're not going, no, I'm not obeying you, God. I'm not doing it, you know, because then you're aware. But most of the time, we're not aware. You know, I'm not aware, but this is where, the, as you guys work together, pastor and congregation, supporting each other, you're going to help each other's weaknesses. You might look at your pastor. This isn't in my notes, but I feel led to say this. You may look at your pastor, and I will guarantee you will see faults. Why? Because every human has them. You know, and some of it is like this. Well, I don't like the way he talks. I don't like the way he walks. And other people might go, well, I would like the way he talks. I like the way he walks. Can't make everybody happy. But I will tell you, the accuser of the brethren, the devil, will accuse other people to you will definitely accuse your pastor to you. You don't love me. He would know. He would call. I've had people in the church before, years ago. They were sick, and they were at home, and I, I can't remember the circumstances, but they, had, they said, well, you, you, you didn't call. I said, well, last time I read in the book of James, it says, is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. I said, I don't see in Scripture, even look at the ministry of Jesus, where Jesus went checking up on his disciples. Peter, Peter, are you okay? You coming out today? Hey, Andrew, are you feeling all right? Amen. Amen. I, I don't know. I, I don't see it in the Bible. What I see is they showed up, and they were ministered to by the anointing that was in and upon Christ. Jesus. So when it says, let the elders, uh, let them call the elders of the church, this is divine order. Look at when Jesus healed people. It says, even the blind Bartimaeus. I'm kind of all over the place, but I think some of you guys need these pieces. This is, I guess, what we call a salad right now. 
You know, you get lettuce, you get tomatoes and peppers. Anyway. So blind Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, you know, they tried to shut him up, and he cried all the louder. Jesus stopped, and he said, bring him to me, because he was blind. He didn't say, I will go to him, bring him to me. Now, in the case of Jairus, if you remember, in Mark chapter 4, Jairus' daughter was sick. Well, Jairus went to get Jesus to bring him to his house, where his daughter was in bed. So we see the divine order seems to be, you go to the man of God. You, nowadays, it's easy. You can even text the man of God. Sure. <laughs> it's simple. It's really simple. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's not now you've got to get on your horse or your donkey or your camel and go over to pastor's house. <laughs> right? So, I mean, it's easy. You don't even have to mail them a letter anymore. Amen. Right? You can email them. I mean, boom, it's gone. Right? Amen. So I'm just saying that to help you out because sometimes we're out of divine order. We get offended at the pastor. Why didn't you know what I was feeling? Well, he isn't a mind reader. You say, well, as a man of God, you should know. Well, you know, it's interesting that in Scripture, it says when the, uh, remember Elijah, uh, sorry, Elisha, Elijah, Elisha, yeah, anyway, but remember the, rich woman that he prophesied about having a son. And he died. Remember, the son died. And she went and threw herself at the man of God's feet. She said nothing. And you know what the man of God said? The Lord has hidden this thing from me and has not revealed it to me. So I'm saying that because sometimes the man of God doesn't know and you need to use this. Mm -hmm. right. You know, my wife and I have been married over 40 years. This is our 40th year. And one thing we have learned is that I'm no good at mind reading, and she's no good at mind reading. Because <laughs> I can look at her face, and I'll go, you look angry. Are you angry? We used to have fights over this. You're angry, aren't you? And she's going, no. I said, yep, because this is, this is when you get in trouble with your marriage. You start doing stuff like that, you're going to have a fight. That's all there's to it. Okay, so you just no. So there's times my wife will say something, look at me, and she'll kind of give an, a statement that's an ellipsis. You know what an ellipsis is? You, you infer something, but you never give the complete context. So you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Here's one. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And you might be going, yeah, but you're on two different pages. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're... Oh, I thought you meant that. It's because you didn't say everything. This is what I tell couples. I said, isn't it interesting that God gave us a voice box and a tongue and an intellect with which we have a language to speak? And you know when you get to heaven, you're still not going to be a mind reader. Because you know what? The Lord loves the privacy and independence and the uniqueness of each individual that it takes the effort to be able to speak. You think about even salvation does not come unless you believe in your heart and speak, it. speak with your mouth.
So if that if we got to do that in order to get saved, then how can I expect my wife and I'm going to say even your pastor, going back to the pastor, to know your needs without you saying something? Even when they brought blind Bartimaeus to Jesus, could Jesus see he was blind? I would think so. You know what Jesus said? What do you want me to do for you? You know, what would we say if you're really sarcastic and impatient? You might go, well, Jesus, look at me, I'm blind. Can't you see? <laughs> but there's something about the asking. There's something, this is why it's so important to use your voice, articulate your words, we get lazy. Oh, do I have to say it again? Yes. Yeah. Yep. You know, I saw this editorial uh, comics one time years ago, and it said this. I don't know, maybe you showed it to me. And it said this. It showed the man and the, and the wife, and, and the little commentary underneath is, the wife goes, well, how come you never tell me you love me? It's been like 25 years since you told me, you know, since we got married. And, she, and he says, well, I'll let you know when things change. <laughs> so that doesn't work. Th think about it. When you come to church, we have a time of praise and worship, right? You don't go, Jesus, I praised you when I first got saved. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, I praised you when I first got saved. I don't need to praise you anymore because, you know, I, I still love you. Well, if that doesn't work for Jesus, it doesn't work for your spouse. Right. Just, just remember that, okay? <laughs> just, just remember that one. Trying to save you some grief, okay? <laughs> so when you think about greater freedom, and I better get on track here, I'm not going to finish and get to my, my point. I want you to turn to uh, John chapter 8. I'm sure you know these verses. Yes, but it's good to see them. That's right. John 8, 31 and 32. You, you, know, you can on your own read the whole chapter, but I just want to focus on these two verses. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How many, how many of you have watched movies? At least in the, well, I guess it would be in the past, right? You ever notice Hollywood gets it all wrong? They'll say, and the truth sets you free. Well, they always say that, yeah. Right? Yeah. You ever heard that in the movies? I have, you know, I don't know how many. The truth sets you free. Yeah. They misquote it. That's, right. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say the truth will set you free. When was the last time you went and told someone the truth and they argued with you and didn't believe you? Yeah, there's no freedom. Yeah. Truth itself does not bring freedom. It can bring conflict, contradiction, upset, right? But it says here, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. There's a key, that believed on him. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed? So, 
just to follow this line of thought, because I'm probably going to continue this message tonight because I want to build up on it, talking to you about ministering to you how you can be set free in a greater way from those emotional struggles that you have. Because I know I'm not going to get into I'm just kind of laying some of the groundwork tonight. This morning, not tonight. Yeah. If you continue in my word. Well, that word continue really means an ongoing meditation, observance, and listening to. How many of you are parents? All right. So how many of you have said to your kids ever or heard someone say, how many times do I have to tell you? Huh? How many times do I have to tell you to clean up your room? Do your homework. Brush your teeth. Wash your face. How many times I have to tell you? You've been listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's something I want to help you with. Just because you got older, it hasn't changed. You haven't changed. I haven't changed. Right. Because humans, we can get some things off the bat, right off the bat. Sometimes we think we got something, but we really didn't get it. Right. And that's the difference between just information versus revelation. Right. And this is where what happens is that we need to continue in the word. And repetition is, uh, I remember John, Pastor John Osteen, not Joel Osteen, John Osteen, we went to one of his uh, minister's conferences, actually a year or two before he died. And he said, you pastors, he says, you got to get it. He says, the power of pastoring is repetition. Repetition, repetition. He says, don't you think that they got anything you preach to them, even though you preach to them a thousand times that thing? You know, it was so enlightening. It was so liberating when I heard that. You know, as a pastor, you got to hear things thousands of times, too. I'm sure I heard this before, but it was like, oh. Because I used to get so frustrated. Lord, I've already told them. Why, didn't, why aren't they doing it? And then go, oh, okay. Because it's that need of repetition. Yeah. Hmm. This is what meditation's about. Meditation's about repetition. You, you know, what we call confession of the Word of God in, in Word of Faith circles. You know, it's a form of meditation. Yes, declaration, but it's a form of meditation because it's repetitious. The problem with repetition, though, we can eventually go on autopilot. You know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and so did your pastor. Uh, I grew up in the Catholic Church. Any other former Catholics there? No? What? Anyone grew up in a denomination where they had a ritual and rehearsed things over and over again? No? Yeah, she did. Okay. So, anyway, in the Catholic Church, they have a ritual. And there's things you say over and over again every time you go to church. The same thing. Rewind and play, rewind and play. A little variance, but rewind and play. Well, after a while, you can, your mind can be at the hockey game, or you ladies may be <clears throat> at the shoe store, Hobby Lobby, Hobby Lobby whatever, <laughs> at, while you're saying these things. Yeah, right. And one thing I realized with a lot of, with the faith people that, you know, we believe in confession, so you have a confession sheet, you pull it out, well, you end up in the same mode if you don't watch it. Yeah. You're, you're saying those things, and your mind yeah. is somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm just saying this is a human condition. 
So repetition has also got to be saying it a little different way. Saying it a little different way. You're saying the same thing, but a little different way. And uh, I remember John Osteen, when, uh, this was at Dad Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen's, uh, I think it was, well, it was his 80th birthday, I think, at his camp meeting we went to. And he had Norval Hayes there and a lot of the ones that, uh, and anyway, he had John Osteen. So he preached a message. And, he's, and the second time he preached, he says, you know, how not to quit. I think he was talking about not quitting on God. But he was talking, and the second message he did, he says, this is not the same as the first message. But it was, but it just was a continuation. <laughs> right? So my point is, is that if you're going to repeat something, try to do it in a way that is invigorating from a different perspective. So even if you're speaking God's word, say it with emphasis. Say it with emotion. Your brain doesn't want to do, we get lazy, oh, you know, and, and, and this is where even the devil will come, and you don't know, he doesn't dress up in red pajamas and show up at your house, has he? No. Okay. So, but it'll come to you thinking, oh, this ain't working. Or the other thought will go, oh, I'm so tired, I can't do this. When are we going to have something new to say? When is God going to move? I know you've never had any of those thoughts. But if it does come to your mind, <laughs> That's when you got to say it with renewed emphasis. Because this has to do with warring a good warfare. This has to do with the, 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 what we call the, the, the wrestling, which we do not with flesh and blood, but against evil spirits. So this has to do with, and, uh, with that struggle. All humans have struggle. You know, just because you're saved, struggle didn't go away. You wish it did. I wish my salvation included no more struggles. Yes! I uh, signed me up! <laughs> you know, woo! Praise God! You know, it, it's amazing how many people come to my office and they're kind of looking for the, the, the magic pill or the, or I'm going to, because I have to tell them, most, most of the clients I have are not believers. Um, in our area, there's very few Christians. So anyway, I'll say, because they'll say, well, how soon are you going to, you know, is this going to be resolved? And sometimes, depending on the person, they'll go, I didn't bring my magic wand with me today. <laughs> right? Because people don't realize the continuing, and the, back to what I'm talking about, the continuing in the word of the Lord is work. Amen. But Amen. we don't want it to be work. It doesn't, yet, how many of you... Have a, have a hobby. Maybe you like working on cars, working on shoes, working on crafts, working on something. You like doing something? Okay. So that work, do you enjoy doing it? That's why you do it, right? Yeah. So that doesn't mean you don't get frustrated sometime, you know, if you're doing something and it's not, you know, the, the nut isn't fitting on the bolt or something like that, or you cut the piece of wood crooked. And, you know, it happens. But you enjoy that work. We should enjoy the work of the word because of the benefits we will get. Because the benefit is, if I can get more peace in my life, if I can have more health in my life, if I can be clearer in my thinking and not so foggy-headed, man, I'm going to feel so much better. That thing isn't harassing me. 
And I, and I, and I've been giving you my testimony, which, uh, I, I will uh, talk a little bit about that tonight, hopefully. But um, this is where I, even as a preacher and as getting saved, when I got saved at 15 years of age, didn't backslide from God, but all the stuff I grew up with in my parents' home, that was a boatload of stuff, didn't mean it all left because I became a new creation in Christ. It meant now, and this is where my struggle was. I said, Lord, I, I remember... And this is going back to early 2000, around the year two. No, 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 no. Sorry, 1990. In 1990, I had the opportunity for about a two-year period where I was. I had the income where I could just pray and fast and study the Word and prepare myself for a greater place in ministry, and I did that, six to eight hours a day in the Word. As soon as I'd walk out of my prayer closet. There was the flesh and the devil. Mm -hmm. Right there. It's like, right. and I go, Lord, why, why didn't this problem leave me? What's going on? Lord, you see me, I'm fasting and praying. And then the, and then the thoughts come, well, see, the word really isn't working. Mm. See, this ain't working because look how many hours you're spending. Look, you've been fasting and praying. And look, you still got this problem. You're still being tempted with the same thing. Now, there's two types of temptation. What I want, for example, lust of the flesh, which is, let's say, whether it's you know, a smoking, drinking, uh, uh, sexual temptation, shopping, gambling, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We're talking about the pleasures of this world. And everyone's temptation is a little different. So you get the pleasures that pull on you, and you know it's not right. But then you got the other temptations. The temptation is, not to be, uh, not to hold revenge, and 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 unforgiveness and bitterness. The temptation to want to hurt somebody. The temptation, you know, some some guys will say, "Well, I'm going to give them a knuckle sandwich," and some others will say, "You know, I'm just never going to talk to them again. I'm just going to be quiet and silent and bitter." The temptation comes to every one of us, where we want to push. You know, whether you're doing it silently. Right. So the temptation comes of, I want, or I'm going to repel, right? And that happens, like, oh, the temptation, like, oh, I don't want to go to church this morning, I'm tired. Why can't I just go fishing <laughs> or shopping? Or I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> the temptation comes. Right, right. And some, some temptations are just kind of, you know, they're mild, you go, yeah, yeah, whatever, and you just move past it. But other temptations, it's, it's really tormenting. It's like, and you cry to the Lord, why, Lord, is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And this is where um, <clears throat> Paul talks a little bit about this. He gets into, I besought the Lord three times that this messenger of Satan be removed from me. And it really had to do with the, just this gang of Judaizers that would follow him and make his life miserable. I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty you're weird. You think about a band, you know, you're going to that city and they're following you and now they're going to give you, see, see if they can kill you in that city. And go to the next city, see if they can take away all your followers and kill you there. Yeah. You know, yeah. tell me that's not pressure. Oh, yeah. That's pressure. And this is the thing. And the Lord said, for in weakness... 
are you made strong, for my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to tell you, the word of a lie, those verses bugged me. I hated them. I hated them. And sometimes it's because of how we believe, what, what we believe that scripture is saying to us versus what is that scripture really saying. Did that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes we feel one way that the scripture, and we know that's not the way the Lord meant it, but that's how we feel. That has to do with something much, much deeper, having to do this part of the brain, we'll say, has to do with what scripture talks about, beliefs of the heart, and in psychology they call core beliefs, which I'm going to, you know, this, this verse is a key, these two verses are key. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. What does disciples mean? One who reflects Jesus. But it's the continuing. See, when, when we get a sentence from Jesus, let me put it this way. When you read the Gospels, you never see in the Gospels Jesus, you know, got up and stretched and yawned and say, hey, good morning. And, you know, that there was never, there's no drama in it. It's just kind of, here Jesus is, this is what Jesus does, this is what Jesus says, right? So just kind of, we'll say, cuts out all the fat, if you will. But where we live, sometimes we want the fat, especially North Americans, we like the fat. We like the drama, we like, you know, fill in the blanks. Well, because it helps us in some way to kind of relate. Does that make sense? That's, uh, remember years ago, they had that band of what would Jesus do, was it WWD? Yeah, right? <clears throat> Sometimes, and I got to thinking, well, what would Jesus do? Yeah. Unless you have that revelation understanding of the word, you're left scratching your head. Yeah. I, at least I did. I don't know if you ever thought that way, but I did. And if you continue my word, my point is, is that there's a whole lot more in that verse than we understand because the continuing in that word is until it brings forth that which the light, and it goes on to verse 32, and you shall know the truth. And you shall know. The word know in the Greek is the word gnosis. I know that really helped you. That was a joke, you know. But it means empirical knowledge. You know what empirical means? Experiential, something that is emotional, something that gets in your heart, something that that you can believe and you can go to the bank on and you're not doubting it anymore and it's a part of you, it goes from here to here. Right? right? Or we could say from here to here. <laughs> right? It's not just info. You know, info can be deceiving. That's right. How many, maybe you've said it or you've heard other Christians say, you're trying to minister to them, they go, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I had one neighbor one time years ago, lived behind us, and she was struggling, and she was a believer, and I started sharing with the word, I know, I've done it, I know, I've done it, I know. So I finally stopped her and I said, no, you don't know. Having information is not what this verse is talking about. Right, knowledge puffs, but love edifies. If it's going to set me free, knowledge does not necessarily set me free unless it goes to my heart. So it's kind of like, you know, when you repeat to the kids, how many times I got to tell you to brush your teeth? 
until they actually automatically go brush their teeth. Then they're like, yay, oh, let's have a party. You know, you're brushing your teeth, I didn't have to tell you. Yeah. Well, I think the Lord rejoices over us when we finally get it. He doesn't have to tell us. Yeah. Not that he'll quit telling us, but he doesn't have to tell us so much. And you shall know the truth. And that which you know emotionally, in the core of your being, is what gives you that freedom. And it's like, think, I think of this. You can think about how you want. But when Jesus walked on the water, he defied what was going on in nature. The peace that passes all understanding that Christ will give to you in the knowing of that truth surpasses the circumstance very much like Jesus walking on the water. The water didn't become stormy, uh, sorry, become settled until he rebuked it. But otherwise, he walked on the stormy water. I believe it's not so that we could all just go out and walk on water that he told us this, but he told us this so we can incorporate in our life that though there are storms of life, there is a way to walk above it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so anyway, I want, I want to wrap it up there today, uh, this morning I should say, and I'm going to continue. I want to continue tonight talking more about how to transform your inner core beliefs that are going to bring you freedom. Because this is what I find is a lot of believers uh, Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3, 13 and 14, and that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. I know so many believers that are not walking in what's rightfully theirs, and they get discouraged, they get depressed, they want to quit, and I, I want to, in some ways, maybe I can impart some encouragement to you guys impart some of that revelation, impart some of that anointing, because like we've told our people, it's your duty to prosper because of all that I put into you. God wants you to prosper. I want to see you prosper. Your pastors want to see you prosper. And I don't mean prosper just in, you know, pulling out the money, okay? Prosper in the entirety area of your life. That where, as I said, I used to be in this torment, I told you, coming out of prayer, because I didn't finish the thought, coming out of prayer, and then it was in 1990, that I came to the place the Lord led me. Now, when I come out of prayer, I'm not faced with those demons anymore. Exactly. Doesn't mean I don't have temptation, but it's kind of like, think of a volume zero to ten. Instead of it being a ten, maybe it's a two or three. Right. Isn't that a better place? Right. How many of you want that? Yeah. So tonight, I'm, uh, I'll, uh, my wife and I will minister to you, lay hands on you after, we, after ministering the word. But I want to continue imparting that to you. Is that okay with you guys? Praise God. Thank you for listening. Thank you for having us, Pastor. And we will continue. I, do you, you want to close? Okay.